Hey, and welcome to Halt the Harm podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Clover, and on this episode, you're going to hear from Raina Ripple from the Environmental Health Project, or EHP. She actually helped found the project in 2011, and on this episode, we're going to talk about their citizen science toolkit, which you can find on their website, environmentalhealthproject.org. We're honored to have you here. Raina, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you, Ryan. Happy to be here. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the toolkit, and uh, I think it would be good if we just jumped right into that. Could you tell us what the toolkit is and who it's for? Sure. Well, so this really represents, I would say, the culmination of the last five years of us working in the community, largely in uh, Washington County, Pennsylvania, which is just south of Pittsburgh. And what we've done is we've field tested all sorts of devices, air monitoring devices, largely using what's called the SPEC, which is a, a device out of Carnegie Mellon University. We've also done some water monitoring. We've looked at noise monitoring. So we're looking at a full picture of really what communities are impacted by related specifically to unconventional, in this case, gas development in other parts of the country. Many people are experiencing the same type of, of activities associated with oil. So really, this is looking very deeply at the shale field, oil and gas development activities and saying, what are the types of chemicals that you as a community member might be exposed to? What are the things you can do to protect your family? How can you monitor the air? How can you in a low-cost way, keep track of, of the quality of your water. And this is all, again, aimed at the residents, the citizens, the people who are on the front lines, who are, who are living or working or have their children in close proximity to these activities. And this is happening for over 17 million people across the country. There's a lot of people out there who are being exposed. And so what we wanted to do was really distill all of our knowledge from the past five years working on this issue into something that was a very tangible, user-friendly guide that people could take this, understand how to protect themselves, understand how to monitor, and if possible, work with, with the Environmental Health Project and, and we can do some of the data analysis. But this really is a tool that we put in the hands of the community members to say, here's what you can do yourself. And I think that that is imperative in the context of, of the national scope of this, of this um, public health situation. And, and I know one of the challenges for, um, you know, even just for public health studies is just getting data and having things be consistent. And it's also a challenge for everyday people being able to explain the experience that they're having, if they're having health impacts and, you know, to actually be able to draw yes. in data, right? Is that, is that part of the idea is that it sort of solves these, these challenges of, of having your experience not be um, considered valid or considered proof? Sure. So this is, I mean, citizen science is increasingly a well-understood option for, for residents, for people who are really trying to get a grasp on data associated with their living conditions. And, and this, again, it, yes, it validates 
validates their experience, it validates their their health concerns, really talks as, as is, but also as simple uh, as possible about, look, here's the toxicology, right? Here, here are some of the symptoms, here are some of the exposures. This is what you're going to see, and this is how you track it. Um, in the mental health project, we, of course, have, have a little higher uh, level of understanding of some of like the air pollution and the way direction really affects the movement of chemicals. But I think that this is something that people, again, at that citizen science level, put in their hands, read through this, understand, and, and hopefully know better how to protect themselves. Do you feel like the toolkit is also a way to bring up the issue and the concerns around fracking to people who might be skeptical that the health impacts are real? Yes, I think ultimately that will be a, I mean, it's it's somewhat of a secondary option for the toolkit because most urgently we want to put this resource in the hands of the community members. But I think by more and more people really gathering data in a in a very standardized way, I think that more policymakers, local officials are are going to see the scope of the impacts and they're going to see, okay, yes, what's happening, for instance, in Pennsylvania looks a lot like what's happening in Texas. We already see that with in Environmental Health Project. We see the same health effects. But I think this idea of really standardizing this science and and standardizing how it is that communities are really addressing this is very important and it's it's very important from both the the local level as as well as really looking at this regionally and saying again yes the impacts that we're seeing over in say Kern County California are very close to what we're seeing in Pavilion, Wyoming, are looking a lot like what we're seeing in, in, you know, southwestern and northeastern Pennsylvania. And that starts to really build a case, I think, for us saying that, yes, these these health effects really are coming from some combination of these different chemicals being used in the industry. Right. And, and I think that we need that type of data to, again, build that case. And for people who are saying, you know, there really doesn't seem to be a problem here. I think a lot of people at the community level recognize and and see the problem, but this is going to help them understand and really verbalize and explain how this is a problem, how it is impacting their health, how it is impacting their community. So yes, I see this as as definitely a guidance document. It's, It's got policy implications. And I think, again, as we get a critical mass of data, more and more people and hopefully more and more local officials and policymakers, and hopefully the regulatory agencies as well are going to say, okay, yes, we see how this is a problem. We see how, how this is causing these health effects. And we're going to take action. And now I'm thinking about my experience, which is that when in my community, we started to measure the impacts when we started measuring water quality, for example. We wanted baseline water testing. That alone made things feel more real. Right. I I think so. And I I think the other thing that, that I would add and, and I have 
some hope, certainly, for the regulatory community to, to take more action on this, for the, even the public health community and or healthcare professionals to take action. But I have to emphasize one thing about the Citizen Science Toolkit, which is what we've seen, and this is extremely the case in Pennsylvania. I know it's the case in, in like West Virginia, Ohio, other parts of, of our region here. The regulatory community is not necessarily front and center. They're not part of the conversation. They're not taking aggressive action. And the healthcare community doesn't seem to have a grasp on exactly what the type of exposures are. So so a big part of the citizen science toolkit is empowering the people who are being exposed in the face of inaction from the regulatory community, even perhaps um, from the public health or their healthcare providers, to protect themselves. Because that's where it's at. And, and sadly, as much as we want to see that critical mass of data and we want to see action happen, possibly at you know, even the national level, certainly at the local level, and, and hopefully at the state level, it's not happening consistently and it's not happening quickly enough. So I think, I think what you're saying about people seeing a scope of crisis or seeing something, something immediate, a lot of the people in these frontline communities do see it. They do see it front and center. And we are very, um, we're very certain that, that this is, this is a tool. This is, this may not be the only thing they need, but this based on the five years we've done field work, testing again, monitoring all of that, we know that this is something that can help people. We know that this is something we can put in the hands of residents who are impacted by gas drilling or oil and gas drilling here and now and say, look, this empowers you, this gives you the, the information you need to get a handle on your situation yourself. And and that's that's an unfortunate thing because ideally, again, you would have the regulatory agencies being on top of this. They're not. And and you know, it's it's certainly an erratic situation nationwide. Some may be. And and certain states I think are certainly doing a better job of it, but many states are just not sufficiently protecting the residents in the face of this gas and oil expansion. So to get started with the toolkit, what do people need to know? I think they need to know that they can, first of all, take action. I think uh, they need to know, certainly, that the toolkit, it, it covers a lot of different levels. So there's the fairly basic level, which says, here's what you can observe, here's how you can understand the types of emissions. And then there's a couple higher levels of maybe you want to, for instance, do like a noise app on on your smartphone, or you want to start really doing some of that monitoring, you really want to start looking at the air, you might want to get one of these low-cost uh, air water quality monitors. You know, it really walks people through a number of different options. And I think that, that the highest option, certainly at the very end, is that EHP for some amount of money can really work with the community and and do the analysis. But we want people to start certainly where they're at and say, here's what I can do. Here's what I can monitor. Here's what I can, can document. And, and again, here's some steps I can take in the short term, in the here and now, that you know, low cost and or no cost will really protect my health. 
And we've tried that from the very beginning. We, we've always had that focus as a, as a public health entity to say, look, you have the tools, you can take these actions. And so this is yet another attempt for us to say, again, we're handing you the tools, we're showing you how to take action, we know you can help yourself, and here's how we could help you at a higher level. So again, I, I just would emphasize that this is something that I think if people can really dive into the toolkit and meet it at the level that they're at, right? So if they're at the level where they say, my community's ready to do an air monitoring project with the Environmental Health Project, that's great. We're ready. We've got the resources to do that with some matching resources from the community. We're ready in terms of all the protocols, in terms of all the systems, the papers, the health assessments, all of that. If people say, you know, I'm really just looking to get a low-cost monitor and monitor my air myself, mm-hmm. this shows you how you can do that. Right, so people can can enter this toolkit at a variety of levels, depending on their resources, depending on their time, depending on their situation, and really say, this is how I can use it. And, um, of course, we're really hoping to capture people's stories and from a social media perspective, really share those stories so that people see other community members out in the community saying, here I am using this, you know, this is, this is what this means for me. Awesome. And so folks can go to, well, and we'll, we'll have it linked in the show notes for this episode too. So all you have to do is, you know, tap on whatever player you're playing this on and you'll be able to pull up the show notes. Or if that's hard, then uh, just head over to environmentalhealthproject.org because the citizen science toolkit, um, you can sign up to get that sent to you via email. So um, just fill out the form and the PDF uh, gets sent to your email address. Yep, that's how it works. And, and you know, we, we're, as I said, again, we're, we're really trying to, to build, uh, build a movement here, build, build a level of awareness, and, and, of course, using social media and using you know, stories that people are doing build again that that citizen science community around this because we think and and here's something that we see a lot i think a lot of people feel very isolated with this type of development activity there's there's a lot of anxiety there's a lot of stress there's a lot of sense of really loss of control and i think that building this community i mean not everybody has the same level of access online but but a lot of people do and i think that more and more people come to see themselves as part of of some of these social media type communities and we think that that again putting these tools in the hands of people building that type of community facebook social media twitter all that will help people feel less isolated and and more in control of their situation which is i have to say that's again that's that's imperative in the face of this type of development activity which oftentimes really is right in your backyard or it's it's right next door to you or it's right in your front yard um so that's that's a a bonus and and something that we also consider very important in this is again getting people to share their stories getting people to work together Mm -hmm. and helping people understand that you know that these resources are out there and this community is out there great so so after somebody signs up to download the citizen science toolkit what else can they expect from Environmental Health Project? So we continue to build new resources. We've got some pretty exciting things coming this fall. Uh, we will be going live in early October with a couple of new 
materials, so it's it's one of those stay tuned, watch our website, and we increasingly begin to to use again the, the social media, the Twitter feeds, and all of that to to keep people posted on these new materials that are that are going live. Um, October second, we'll be going live with what's called the Environmental Health Channel. This is going to pair some of our air monitoring data with some of our our uh, de-identified health data, so it's all uh, confidential, but but it's going to show within the southwestern Pennsylvania area some of the stories of what we've heard from people, and in that case, that's where people really said, yes, we want to show our story. We want our, sh- our story shared, um, but also showing what type of air monitoring we've seen come out of Washington County and in surrounding areas and, and really what the picture is starting to look like from a health Mm-hmm. An air monitoring perspective. So that's that's coming soon. Um, we're also going nice. to be doing a a major report release in mid October on on some more compressor station emissions data. Um, stay tuned for that. So so the thing I would say again is you join this community, join in with with the Environmental Health Project, and we're really going to be updating you, sending new things your way. Um, you know, you'll be you'll be linked into to some of the more exciting developments on on this topic, and and especially from that public health perspective and the citizen science perspective. Where I where I live, this was a, a big shock for a lot of people, and so having these tools, having support around campaigns and monitoring, um, was really key to organizing in the in the beginning. So, I feel like now with stuff like this, it's even, there's even more resources, and so. We just want to share them and get them out there and let people know that they're not alone. Right, absolutely. I, I think that this, again, building this uh, community, building this awareness and, and getting people, I mean, there's just a tremendous number of people nationwide who are seeing this, who are experiencing this. And and I will tell you, from the perspective of really coal field areas and and southwestern Pennsylvania, where there's been a lot of historical mining and even oil development, this is a new animal. This is is something, it's very big, it's very fast, it's uh, very aggressive, not that the coal mining wasn't, but but I think that this happens, especially as you start to see the interconnected nature of, so for instance, the pipelines coming down to some of the export terminals and 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 everything just happens very fast and it is a it's it's very much of a come and gone like industry industrial development so so they they move things through very fast they build the pipelines very fast um they they're not necessarily long term installations or or development in in the in the community Right, so the well pads go up, they go down, they they do a lot of um, moving of the rigs. You know, everything just happens so much more rapidly, and and it's not a large scale point source that right. that I think even the regulatory community was used to mm-hmm. once upon a time. So you could say, okay, here's this, for instance, this massive coke works, and we know the pollution that's coming out of it, and we know how to do some of the controls and the you know the best available control technology and things like that. This is not that. This is this is really a different animal. It comes quickly. It it moves rapidly. Um, the emissions spike. There's a lot, a lot of spikes in emissions, and and a lot of those are routine, but unfortunately, 
and this I think is really important to understand from a from a regulatory perspective, our system's not set up to capture those kind of emissions that happen on a regular basis. Everything gets averaged out, and and typically everything gets averaged out over maybe 24 hours or even over a year. Therefore, the regulatory agency is not really capturing and and monitoring and and setting their limits based on these short-term spikes. And we're not, I think, prepared for this kind of industrial development that's happening right in people's backyards. You know, it's re- really, really close to people's houses, right? It's there's, there's little to no setback in many cases. And that's just the nature of the industry. And again, that's, that's very different from the coal mining where you had a site and it was impacting all the people around that site, but it wasn't necessarily impacting everybody in a very, like, scattered way. You know, the truck traffic wasn't everywhere. I mean, you know, there were certain routes maybe that they took. Everything is up for grabs now. So your backyard, your route to school, your route to the hospital, your route in and out of town, um, you know, again, and this truck traffic and the noise and the... Sadly, also, it really pits neighbors against neighbors. And, And that's been hard to see. Mm-hmm. So so it comes with a lot of stress. It comes with a lot of community disruption. And everything that we've seen for the past five years has said to us, you know, the more tools we can put in the hands of these community members who are experiencing this, this rapid industrialization of their community, you know, it has to happen. It has to happen right away. They need to have tools. They need to, they need to be able to, to get a handle on this. And for the most part... In, in many cases, they're going to have to, to take action on their own. Yeah, and uh, it it's, seems unfair that it needs to be um, the responsibility of people who are facing the direct impacts of the industry to be the ones to test and measure and, and prove. Like the burden of proof is really on, it's on us in a lot of cases. Yes, unfortunately, that does seem to be the case. And, and I think as we build a critical mass of data, we'll have a better sense of how to address this maybe at the federal level, hopefully certainly at the state level. But in many circumstances, in, say, a lot of states, Texas, Wyoming, Pennsylvania, definitely put that in there, um, but, but California, Colorado, and even in New York, I, I think that we're not on top of this. We're not really fully understanding what the compressor station emissions look like. We're not understanding the scope of the, of the pollution impacts. And, and we weren't ready. I mean, 100% in Pennsylvania, I can, I can say we just absolutely were not ready for this. We weren't ready from it, from a perspective of even seeing how damage had happened from coal mining and some of the environmental health impacts of coal mining. This is just different. So whatever structure we had in place to deal with maybe some of the coal mining, which in many cases was, was inadequate to begin with, it's not translating. And sadly, at least in the case of Pennsylvania, rather than uh, really ramping up our Department of Environmental Protection and ramping up the number of inspectors and having a much stronger Department of Health, 
we're rapidly moving in the opposite direction. We've decimated the DEP staff in Pennsylvania. It's a shell of an agency, and it's a shell of an agency in the face of a rapidly growing industrial development that's happening right next to people's houses. So that's a, that's you know it's 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 a recipe for problems, if not a recipe for. I mean, it's it's and we. I guess we really call it an unfolding public health crisis. And given the fact that 17 million people across the United States are living in close proximity to this, I think it's, it's definitely at that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the toolkit is, it, it, it seems like you don't have to be part of an organization. You don't have to be a researcher or a scientist to, understand how to use these um, tools to actually monitor and do tests and gather data. Right. And just exactly. looking through the toolkit itself, it's, I mean, this is just an incredible, incredible document. It's, it's long enough, but it's not too long. It's, it's designed in a way that could be um, printed. You could, you could send it to a, a you know, a print shop and, and have it printed for you and put in a binder or you could just use it from a computer or, or a tablet. But this is really um, quite an incredible document. And it's also full of links. So if you do use it on a, on a computer, there's links directly in the toolkit that you can use to access other resources and websites and stuff like that. So it's, I'm really just you know, looking at it before jumping on the call with you. It's just like, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, really we, we thought so too. We, we really worked very hard on this. And, and again, this is, this is the culmination of, of everything we've tried out in the community, field tested, yeah. done in Washington County, done in southwestern Pennsylvania, the, the research we've seen out of Wyoming, out of Texas, out of Colorado, right? So, I mean, this is, this is a very well-informed document, and, and it's field tested, ready to go. Um, and, yeah. and I just sincerely hope that, that more and more people have access to this, start using this, get a handle on what's going on in their communities, and, and that we can as much as possible be there to assist. I mean, I, I think that, again, the, the higher level of data analysis, that's something we're trying to do with as many communities as possible. Yeah. Resources are stretched a little thin, but, but we're, we're trying. And, and this tool is a way for us to jumpstart that, that resource and, and, again, put it in the hands of as many people as possible to say, here you go, do what you can, do what you, what you have your capacity to do, and to the extent that we can help raise the bar and do more, let's try and do that together. So once again, you can get the Citizen Science Toolkit from environmentalhealthproject.org. And we're going to have the link in the show notes for this episode as well. So you can just click through there and get the toolkit. You'll sign up for their email list um, where so that they can email you the toolkit. It's a big PDF document. So, yeah, you can check this out. It's, it's pretty awesome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. And that does it for this episode of Halt the Harm podcast. You can find all the episodes at halttheharm.net slash podcast. And of course, check out the network, find out what people are talking about inside the network, add your profile to the directory so you can connect with others and reach out to us at any time. All right. Take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>